so I just want to tell you that you are, you have, you entered my life at an amazingly perfect time, which is probably something I would imagine you hear a lot. But I had just spent a year in a uh, mindfulness teacher training course and had really been diving deep into mindfulness, but felt like there were some very critical parts missing. And I felt like when I became a witness, I was only part of the way there, but nobody was talking about anything that was supposed to happen after that. That's pretty much it. You just mm -hmm. get into that witness state and watch. Yeah. Um, and then one of my best friends said, you need to see this guy on YouTube. He's pretty amazing. Uh, and he had, he's been a, he was a Buddhist monk for seven years. And he, he and I are, he's my friend that I have these spiritual conversations with. Um, and immediately when I heard what you were talking about, I was like light bulbs started going off and literally my, my vision changed sometimes and, and things would just reality was more real. Um, and so when you share things the way you share them, um, it comes, it, it's like telling a story almost. You tell a story about now. Mm -hmm. um, what is that? <clears throat> That's a, I love that question. Yeah, <clears throat> it's a funny thing. Um, often when I'm interacting with people who are going through this awakening process and have, have had significant alterations in identity uh, in ways you're describing, have, have started to experience both themselves and the world, how, how it feels to be alive in this world um, in very different ways. One of the themes that pops up frequently and the deeper uh, people um, uh, realize, the more, uh, in, let's say, in tune you are with, with just the natural energetic flow, let's call it the natural flow, um, the more this comes up. And that is that instead of the way our mind likes to put things together, it's, it's, it's a it's an important way to see the world. It's practical. We have to grow up and develop faculties and develop ways of communicating effectively and and so forth. And and that, but it has a certain structure to it. It's the the mind structure, let's call it. And it has its place, of course, of course it does. Um, but it it sees the world through various lenses that are lined up a very specific way. But it's not actually how it is. And so what we can do is learn to see the world or reality um, without those lenses. And at the same time, we still have access to the lenses, okay? Now, when we start doing that, one thing that becomes more and more obvious is that what the mind structure that I'm describing values um, is, is something like, well, it has various values, but things like consistency are important. You, mm -hmm. Without consistency in, in a, with a mental process or say a scientific process, then you can't predict anything at all. And so you can't really learn and you can't adapt and so forth. So there's this thing about cons like consistency and predictability and even solidity and even separation. I'm here and you're over there. Now, 
language breaks down if we don't assume separation. We, when we talk, uh, when we're even having conversations with people, we're already making assumptions that that there's separation, that I'm here and you're there and I have my motivations and you have yours and you know, they follow certain tropes. All of that is fine. So that's kind of the value system of the of the mind, of thought. And it's fine, right? Right. Well, when we start to wake up to this way of being, way of moving through life that is not looking through lenses at all, uh, um, it, it's not even a it's not it's not a way because it's it's a physical experience of reality. It's it's palpable. It's intimate. It's expansive. It's uh, paradoxical. When we start to experience that way, the values. I'm not even sure if I could say there are necessarily values, but but this the the predictability and solidity and all that that's just not valued here. What what is interesting that comes into play is something that I'm going to just call synchronicity. There's a timing to everything. And it's so beautiful that this timing um, is is where the relative meets the absolute. It's it's where the individual Eric and the individual Angelo meet something that never could ever even begin to understand individuality because it's so intimate, so more real than real, closer than close. Um, and so it becomes something like a, um, a, a beautiful symphony of interwoven synchronicities. And that's not just within the the human mind and psyche, but within the human heart and within the phys the physio physiology of the body, the um, the circadian rhythm, the 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 and then the natural rhythms of nature around us, the seasons, all of that is experienced at an energetic level, literally, and mm -hmm. because it's so far outside of our um, usual way of uh, the way we've learned to see reality through the mind, because it's so far outside of that. Um, it, the, uh, it takes us some time to kind of get sea legs in that. But the more we do, what happens is we start to really trust that timing that sometimes does align really well with the, the mental process and other times it doesn't at all. It, it can be quite counterintuitive, um, but we trust it. We trust we trust ourselves. And then we start to, to have a really deep trust in our own instincts. We trust ourselves utterly, but not the mental version of ourselves, not the conditioned socially conditioned version of ourselves, rather the instincts. It, 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 sometimes I'll make analogies. It goes beyond any of these analogies, but something like the instinct you have when you first see a baby crying, you just want to gather it up and pull it close to you and feel feel it, put it, its physiology next to your physiology so that they can synchronize. Um, or the, the when you're taking a walk in nature in, in the, the autumn and you start to, for the first time, see the leaves fall and you feel the crisp air, that feeling that is, it just goes through you. It's beyond you. It's it's it was, it's something ancient. It's there before you were born, before your parents were born, and yet you're in direct contact with that truth, that ancient truth that's alive right now. Um, those kinds of moments are what anyone can relate to, as far as what I'm talking about. Now, right with realization, you start to come into full-on contact with it. Meaning, at some point, you're not out of contact. There's no way to be out of contact. And, and then the rules of everything sort of change and you, you have to sort of learn a new way, but it's a synchronistic way. It's, it's all about, a lot about timing. And, and this is why I often say to people things like, you know, the answer to, to a common question, and there are many common questions in spirituality or awakening, but the answer I might give to a, to a common question may be very different now than it would be if I answered it for you tomorrow. And it's sure. all to do with the conditions. Conditions are always changing. And so um, there's, a, there's a timing and an instinct of knowing when to speak, when not to speak, when to go silent for a week, and when it's time to work hard. You know, I, I don't know why I know that, but it's, 
obvious that the nature supports it and and angelo the the individual identity is out of the way is what i could say i i can use it i can talk about angelo and i can talk in terms of you know i can talk in first person and and, and you never know the difference but but it's different for me because underneath it i i know that that's not referring to anything specific um, right. It, it's it's more of a conventional way of speaking and practical way of moving through the world. But there's a very very different way of moving through the world. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and that, this is a question I've um, I've had, and since you brought up Angelo, um, so Angelo still has likes and dislikes and preferences and things that you don't prefer. I would imagine, mm-hmm. right? Is it, it is your experience of that just as a as a much less attached to whether or not it happens mm-hmm. uh or is it something different from that altogether that's a really great question so uh, so i know from interacting with people fr- frequently with the on these topics it's it's nearly impossible to me to fully relate what it's like so just understand a lot of this is paradoxical but i will say a couple things that are that are important and one is when things don't go your way, like, so, so let's say I have a preference to be in this environment versus that environment, or to have this type of food served at dinner versus that type of food served at dinner. I could conventionally speaking, say I may have preferences. I might enjoy sushi more than I enjoy, um, I don't know, steak or something. Now, um, the, there's a very, very fundamental difference. And that is when that occurs, there's nothing standing apart from it going, it shouldn't be this way. There's also nothing there re- reacting to it. And this is really important. Right. Now, it doesn't mean you don't respond and you may respond. In fact, I could have an allergy and I'd say, you know, I have an allergy to that type of food. I apologize and so forth. But what's fascinating is when there's no reactivity, your your responses come out of love and they're, and they're simple and easy and they don't turn into reactivity on the part of the other person. And then it propagates reactivity, right? Right. We all know this. There are environments where there's nothing but reactivity or where reactivity is very heavy, right? So mm-hmm. certain areas in social media, you see it or in, uh, I don't know what, where, but, or, or in environments when people get very stressed, you know, everyone has a threshold, right? But right. that reactivity can go essentially to zero and it's, it can be quite strange when it happens and surprising. So, so even though there can be preferences, um, there's nothing fighting what's happening in the moment if it's, supported by nature to go through something that you may not have a preference for, like physical pain, for instance. Uh, right. You may take practical measures. If you have a bad headache, you might take some ibuprofen. But the, but the, even even with that, it's a simple, spontaneous act, and there's no sense of someone in here going, God, I wish I didn't have a headache right now because I have to do this and this and this, and it's just not a good time for it, and why do I get headaches anyway, and I hate it, and I feel right. frustration. And that's the narrative, but even behind the narrative, the feeling of contraction of, why is life doing this to me? This is so uh, uncomfortable. That's not there. So that that's probably the best way I can say it. Um, and and your preferences do soften a lot. The the sense of the just even practically speaking, the the dichotomy between what I like and don't like doesn't define you at all. It doesn't define anything. So then it softens right. quite a bit, and you kind of go, oh, I mean, I really, even if I'm eating something that I would normally say I don't have like a, a strong preference for, like. I don't know, horseradish or something. Even in that moment, it's fascinating because my attention, I can tell you what happens. My attention goes so deeply into that experience of the taste of it that right. there's, some, there's, a, there's an inquiry that keeps going like, well, what am I even referencing here? There's nothing here that's identifiable as pre- preferred or not preferred. And yet 
conventionally speaking, I could say, yeah, I probably wouldn't prefer that over something I, I like the taste of. So it's, a, it's again, paradoxical and, and enjoyable. It's even enjoyable to experience things you don't prefer because life is enjoyable. It's enjoyable to just experience anything at all. I, I yeah I, I get that I, I get vibe? that and, and and in the moments where where that feels real for me it it feels like that mm-hmm. um, it it's just a, you know I don't always know that I can rely on that I guess mm-hmm. um, one question I had for you about paradoxes is something I read in your book um, that really stuck with me. Um, and it is, it was about where intention meets surrender. Mm. You were like this, if you can just get to that place, that's, that's the name of the game. Mm -hmm. And there is something very paradoxical about intention, which has some amount of will to it or, um, desire, Mm-hmm. Or do you need to have intention without will and desire in order to surrender? And could you t- talk to me a little more about what it's like to hold both of those things at once? Oh, I love this question. You, you ask great questions. So, so this intention thing, um, what you voiced is a belief, and it's a very common belief, and it's not a, it's not a conscious belief in the sense that we didn't choose to actually believe this. We just kind of inherit it from from our conditioning, from 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 the the sort of um, socially endorsed way we think about ourselves. And that is, if I have an intention, there has to be will behind it, a personal will, and and then and there has to be something on the line, um, and mm-hmm. and I have to introduce effort. Even even that's not necessary. There can be an intention, um, and there well I'll say that there is an intention. If if there wasn't this intention, no one would wake up. There's an intention to, for truth to know itself, living truth, not a set of standards or beliefs, but living truth. There's an, there's an, in, there's an intention for it to literally just know itself deeply, profoundly. Um, I could say, uh, oh, and, and also I should back up and say, but we always have to start with authenticity, right? So if you hear this message, let's say, uh, someone listening might hear this and say, wow, I don't know what they're talking about, but I resonate. It's, there's something interesting here. And I don't know what it is, but you know, there's something interesting here. But, um, but yeah, when I feel an intention, I definitely feel like I want something as well. I would say, that's fine. Be authentic with it, right? When we start out on this sort of path, let's say, um, very, very commonly, we're going to have mixed motivations. Some of them are going to be in the personal dimension, and even in the personal dimension, there's a there's a quite a spectrum between pretty selfish intentions and selfish motivations, and some that are reasonably less selfish and maybe even altruistic. Right? In a, in a really evolved person, you can have quite altruistic intentions even if you're still experiencing yourself as a separate entity. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a spectrum there, uh, and all of that is fine. That's just going to be part of the deal for a while. But also, I just want to point out that underneath this whole thing. Underneath this whole conversation we're having, underneath the reason I even wrote the book, there's, there's an intention uh, for living truth to know itself fully, um, unequivocally, uh, uh, intimately, that's also going on underneath. And you may have a little sense of that. You may have a strong sense of that. And it also may wax and wane. But over time, that 
that overrides everything. It, it becomes, you know, the red hot iron ball you can neither, neither spit out nor swallow in one sense. It becomes, you realize something bigger than you is moving all of this. And it's, you, and you may, depending on your back, background, you may personify it into something like God or an entity, or you may just feel like it's the universe, but it's something beyond, it's beyond the dimension of, of what you take yourself to be. And I think that's the key. And when you start to feel that come into play, then you realize, oh, okay, so I, I can have my own personal wants and desires and drives. That's fine. Those are, that, if they're there, they're there. It's not a problem though. It's, it's, not, a, it's not an either or thing. It's, it's just that you kind of get the whole deal. You get the whole package. You get the personal dimension and you get the impersonal dimension and it's all fine. But over time, the, the unnecessary and especially really self-centered types of drives, especially self-sabotaging self-centered types of drives, they tend to fall away over time. And then the more altruistic drives, um, and, and, and you take care of yourself. I mean, the basic drives to, to take care of your own body and yourself and your health, they're still there, of course. But the, the, the stuff that used to feel like it was really important about you, but it really was distraction, maybe subtle self-sabotage, uh, hesitation for no good reason toward life, that, <clears throat> that tends to fall away. And then you, you find this alignment of the personal, but the more benevolent, I would say, aspect of the personal drives, the, the more altruistic side, come into this congruence with this unnameable, ineffable truth of reality that's here all the time that's functioning that all of this is about. And that those when those start to come into synchronicity, it's it's quite enjoyable, deeply enjoyable, because it's it's enjoyable in the relative and the relative has ups and downs and there will be pain and so forth. But it's also profoundly relative in a sort of sublime way in in the absolute aspect. Mm -hmm. well, with with the element of surrender in that uh, intention and surrender there. And I find this in, in my own meditation practice. Sometimes I will come, something will happen. I will feel that my consciousness has changed. Um, and that my experience of it is, Oh, this would be a good time to surrender, which is a thought about mm. surrender. Um, but it's almost as if the 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 efforting to surrender is counterproductive to surrendering. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about that? About what the actual um, move or lack of move uh, mm -hmm. of surrender is? Yeah, sure. So uh, first, I'll just give you a practical tip in, in a situation like that, because it's very common to have that experience. Um, a practical tip is just to recognize when you feel something, you're probably already feeling it surrendering, you're feeling something expanding or, or sort of maybe dissolving or whatever, mm -hmm. so, some some clarity there, then, then the mind wants to, you know, have it say or whatever, right? And then it might say something like, Oh, this would be a good time to surrender. And then the next thought is, wait a minute, that thought means I'm not surrendering. Right? And so, um, <laughs> so, so the only thing I would say about that is, hey, um, what you can do in that moment is just ask and say, well, how do, what am I even referencing to know that this isn't already surrendered? Another thing you could ask is, what is it that, that's always surrendering? Right here in my experience. Mm -hmm. What is it that's always surrendering? It's always right here. It might be a very, very subtle experience or maybe very over sort of overarching. So, so those kinds of questions that just redirect you a little bit into the mystery 
without a lot of expectation because you can have a momentary experience of expansiveness and that's fine. You can also have a profound ongoing experience of expansiveness, but that's not really up to me or you. So, so surrender is an interesting thing. Um, I might call it, um, I don't know if I want to use these terms necessarily, but because I didn't, I have to define them and I, I can, but so it's, it's almost like a bit of a feminine distortion. Um, feminine energy is so profound. It's so incredibly powerful, but the ego distorts, right? Similar to masculine energy, the ego distorts it and turns it into something it's not right. So a distortion of, in the feminine spectrum might be something like, um, like you said, trying to surrender, trying to, trying to personify surrender, surrender. But, but then what happens is you add in your own agendas subtly, right? Right. So, so, um, so surrender is something you can't necessarily choose to do, but you can be willing for it to happen. You can be willing to um, follow the contours of surrender that's always here. And again, we're going back to the timing thing, so the synchronicity that, that surrender doesn't mean what your mind thinks it means. Another way I like to say this, uh, when someone's having a lot of struggle and so forth, and they're practicing, they're performing mindfulness uh, approaches, or they're sitting and meditating, and yet they're, they're feeling intensity and contraction and emotion, uh, emotional repression, let's say. Uh, one, one thing I'll say sometimes is just tell them, hey, um, don't overlook the, the infinite variety of presence. Just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's not presence. Right. right. Every presence presence has so many facets, it has infinite facets. Um, and so what you may be feeling um, in, in the moment is surrendering to the truth that there's a human dimension here that right at this very moment, it's holding on to something. I don't even know what it is and I can't know what it is maybe, or maybe I can, but, and I'm surrendering to the truth that that's the case and that's okay. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, in that moment, there's something holding somewhere or there appears to be, maybe there isn't even. Uh, and that's okay. I, that, so that's the surrender. Um, surrender is sort of like not adding another layer of resistance when you notice resistance. Right. Not making it wrong. Right. Of so course, again, this has been, yeah. yeah, this has been my, you know, like I'm, I, the other thing I realized when I started this mindfulness class is that, um, after 30 something years of <clears throat> spiritual seeking, um, I had gotten really good at resistance. Mm -hmm. Like resistance was the name of my game. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I had uh, at every at every step of my spiritual path, I was kind of tossing things aside and going, nope, not that. Nope, not that. Nope, not that. And um, and also reading your book, seeing what a uh, the authenticity part of me going, oh yeah, I am like Mr. Resistance. Mm -hmm. I, I really need to see that and look for resistance in my life because I wouldn't have thought it, mm -hmm. you know, but it just kind of came to me like, oh, this is why, this is a big reason why I am here. Yeah. Um, and that, that whole, the whole authenticity part um, really got me looking at that closely. And it seems in my mind anyway, um, that the, that the surrender is almost like the antidote to the resistance. Am I wrong there? Or is it, is there, uh, a, um, is it something else? No, I think you, I think that's a good way of saying it. 
um, this is getting a little bit into the mechanics of the realization process, but I think it's valuable because you kind of explained, explained it very clearly. And that is that there's a, there's a sort of approach to awakening or realization that it's called neti neti, meaning it's not this, it's not that. Uh, sort of looking and going, yeah, it's not this, I'm not that, I'm not the thoughts, I'm not the, the body. And and that's an okay approach. And it can, it can, depending on who you are and where you are and so forth, it can release a lot and perhaps even lead to a, a shift in identity. Um, but it, it can lead to this place where, um, this, this is what I would call masculine distortion, actually. It can lead to this place where we're, we're just bypassing or just avoiding seeing the the real meat of what's going on, which is resistance, which is this and this, and it's a right. physical thing. It's an emotion. It's in the emotion spectrum and so forth. Um, so we have to address that at some point. Um, now, uh, I will also say that looking at sort of the Buddhist model for this, uh, you could look through the like the um, the Fetter model and the Fetter model. The, there's like the f- Fourth and fifth, I believe, is essentially desire and aversion. It's reactivity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's our constant reactivity. Now, there's gross reactivity, meaning you just kind of lose it out of anger for some strange reason, and no one, everyone around you is scratching their head, and you're even scratching your own head, and that kind of thing. But say you've kind of gotten under that, and you have you've had some degree of realization, and you have some clarity, and you have even some equanimity, and yet what you actually start feeling underneath all of it is reactivity that's pretty intense actually. And you can, you can rein it in and you, you know, you feel you're empathic and you feel your effects on other people. So you learn to sort of mitigate it and manage it behaviorally. And yet Mm -hmm. you can't deny the fact that it's still there and you don't know what the heck to do with it. Right. That's, that's what I mean by desire and aversion. That's that, that it's, it's a reactivity. It's, it's really the first big layer of identity that, that we start to come in contact with after we've had a significant shift in identity, where we start to see the underlying mechanics of what made it feel like identity as a separate struggling self was even operating at all. And the reactivity is a pretty big uh, layer, actually. It's, it's, it's kind of all, um, it's pervasive. It, 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 and it, it can go dormant. I would call it pain body, actually. It can go dormant and sure. it can become active and it can be unpredictable. But it, you, if you're honest, it's like it's there, you know, and you, you really have to start to address it. So um, so how do you address it? Well, there are different approaches and so forth. But uh, um, part of it, a big part of it is actually just acknowledgement and realizing what you're actually reacting to. And often it's simple, mundane things. You know, someone said something and, you know, I have a fear that they're you know trying to. Uh, control me or I have a fear that they're they might abandon me or these fundamental fears we have um, uh, fears of abandonment like I wrote about in my book fears of uh, intimacy even looking at those trigger points and just being honest oh that's where I'm starting to react in this moment and then in this moment and there may be a lot of them but if we start to actually identify that's what it was uh, we can address them uh, and you can address them through inquiry uh, um, you can, you can start to look, but do I actually have to react? I mean, it's an intense feeling. Like say, I don't know, the first time you feel jealousy, you, you see your partner have a contact with someone else and there's some jealousy that comes up or something. It's a physical experience and it's quite intense. But yeah. before we disentangle the, 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 the reactivity, it'll feel like, and because it's intense, I have to do something about it. I have to, right. whatever, I have to act outwardly or act inwardly. 
distract myself, take a drug, take another drink of alcohol, run away from it. You know, distraction is the the name of the game these days with all of the stuff we have around us, you know, but, uh, but there's many, many ways to react to that other than going and confronting someone or something. So there's internal reactions and external reactions. But what we finally see is if I'm just willing to actually feel it, fully feel it, um, and, and, and listen to the thoughts that come and say, you have to do something, you have to act. You, you can't let this, you know, and just, okay, those are thoughts. I see them coming through. They'll, they'll go away like they always do. And, and just being willing to feel through it. That will often start to disentangle that. It will really decrease the reactivity, but it doesn't feel comfortable to do it. It's a it's reasonably uncomfortable no. thing to do in that moment. But no, it's, point, it's the it's the thing you deep. that all the reactivity is trying to push down yep. and away. Yep. And yep. Oh, yeah, yep, yep, that's right, that's right. Yeah. And and what happens though is you know it's it's like at first at first it just feels like you're sort of learning to be uncomfortable in certain situations and that's it. But it starts to go deeper than that, and you start to actually find these places where, wow, I actually thought I had to react to that. And I don't even know why I thought that. I don't at all. It doesn't actually matter because guess what? I'm going to feel, uh, I'm going to be in a situation like that again someday. I don't even know when, and it's going to be fine. Like it's going to come and it's going to go. These situations come up all the time in life, opportunities to react, but not necessary moments to react. And then you just start seeing them differently and you realize, wow, I have a belief that I can make reality different than it is just because I don't like it the way it is. Right. Wow. Am I really trying to control life that much? And then and then it just it just starts softening more and more and more. And then it can literally just fall where you just don't react anymore. And in a certain situation where you would normally have at least a contraction, there's literally nothing. And you're like, wow, that's interesting. I would not have expected that. It can almost feel like something's missing for a while until you realize how deeply enjoyable it is to not react. Yeah. yeah. What do you call, do you call it non-duality teaching, awakening teaching? Do you, do you have a word for what you do? I don't, I don't really have a word for it. It's funny. Yeah. I mean, I kind of use the words, depending on where I'm speaking, I use the words I think people are going to um, understand based on whether they have experience with it. Sure. But that's, that's, the, that's the big question, isn't it? How do I right. talk to an audience that's never heard of this topic? Usually it's, right. as you mentioned, through storytelling. I just kind of say, hey, I grew up suffering a lot. Let me tell you what it was like. Maybe you can right. relate. <laughs> and then this right. happened, you know. So I try to just make it like a personal description of how I went through it, if it's a really unindoctrinated audience. But I try yeah. to avoid jargon and those sorts of things because, you know, it, very quickly the collective ego starts putting things in boxes and turning them into different things and co-opting and so forth. So again, with this the synchronicity, there's a sort of living truth and it's there's an innocence that's here all the time. And it's so innocent, it doesn't even know the first thing about anything. It's just, it's like a, a baby. It's a newborn baby. The senses are like that. The senses are, you know, when I see a newborn baby, which I get to reasonably frequently, which is nice. Right. I work. love watching. Just It just looks, you know, it's just completely taking it all in. There's no self in there. It's full on, full on, wide awake reality. You know, it's so yeah. beautiful to watch that. Well, um, and that, that, that is also how the senses can be for, for anyone. And that is how your teaching is. You know, that, that it is, it can all be, uh, it, it's like, you don't believe it just go try it, yeah, see exactly. what happens. You know, yeah. you like, there's nothing to believe. There's no, there's no dogma to take in or repeat yeah. or anything. It's just like, try it. Did it work? You know, totally. And, and, and that's exactly it. And here's the other thing I, I love about this is it has, it has nothing to do with me, my beliefs, 
my patterns, my descriptions. Because when I'm working with someone, when I'm talking with that person, the way that they're showing me how awakening works because it works different for everyone because every moment is the first, the first and last time it'll ever happen. That, right. That's, that's deep stage realization. That's very strange, but there's no other moment than this moment. This moment's the whole entire universe. And, I, and, yeah. and it's not, it's not like a paradigm. It's just that way. And so it's so fresh and simple and direct that Buddha nature is right in front of my face. And that's the only thing it possibly could be. So when somebody's going through the awakening process, it's almost like they're teaching me how to do it because they can only do it their own way. So it's that personal in regard to the person I'm talking to. And that's why I really want to make my book have that warmth that's listen, this isn't about Angelo. I mean, sure, you can listen to my story and I hope it inspires you of, of what awakening is, but it's not about that. It's about you. It's, no, it's not it feels you, like being there with you no. and yeah. having a conversation reading your yeah. book. I'm just That's reading it for the second time. Yeah. yeah, it's it's even better the second time. Because the first time there's so much information, you know, mm -hmm. the mind is busy trying to categorize and you know, like, oh, okay, I got a lot to learn here. Um, the second time, it really has, uh, it's it, it hit, it's hit me a lot deeper and in different mm -hmm. places than the first time. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about identity. Because uh, it's something that uh, has been a through line in my own life. Um, you know, like w when I was really young, I went from being a, you know, a bullied theater kid to moving to a different high school and completely changing my identity in that new high school. And it was a very formative thing that happened to me early on that involved hiding who I was. And then I went to college. Um, I had these incredibly emotional, um, you know, est type experiences in the 80s when everybody was doing est, I was doing all that. Yeah. And so then I came very much in like uh, face to face with responsibility and my own like true nature and who am I. And so then I ultimately had to come out of the closet and change my identity completely again. Mm -hmm. And as recently as 2019, when the pandemic started, I had always thought, oh, it'd be fun to be a wizard. So, you know, mm -hmm. like I used to look like a normal person, but then I was like, I'm just going to try on a costume. It works and very well. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's gotten to the point now where I feel like th there's an element of identity that is fun for me. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of people, um, feel the same. And a lot of people don't. Uh, a lot of people feel like, like, and this comes into identity politics and all of that, yeah. Yeah. like identity is almost so personal mm -hmm. that people don't want to talk about it, or, or they feel like um, the, they have a, a right to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if maybe like, I'm thinking for younger people who are just sort of exploring their first identity. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to, um, to what happens with identity in the process of awakening? Mm -hmm. And, I, and I love it. Yeah. That's such a great question. It's, I mean, I can go in like 10 different directions with it. I just love it. Pick one. So to a young, to a young person going through, so one of the most beautiful things about the sort of gen, gen Z, the, the newest generation of, of young adults now is this, understanding you know it's it's kind of coming through social social circles but the the understanding of the fluidity of identity uh, you know and that's wonderful mm -hmm. yeah. um 
it, it is wonderful. And, and the, the questioning is, is, is powerful. The, the, the curiosity, the questioning, the experimentation, all that to me, I, I love it. Um, I would say uh, when you get even more curious in the way you just asked of, well, what the heck? I mean, I can see that I can change my identity in a sense. I can change the way I dress, look, uh, and, and I and I and I and there's something about it that's that's changeable already. Maybe it, it, I don't even have to try to change it. It, it is changed. Maybe it is fluid, and um, I can be attracted to this type of person. Then I can be attracted to that type of person, and I almost feel different in each setting. Why is that? Right? This is something wonderful to explore. Um, I would say when you're ready to take that to the next level and get really curious about what identity is. Try to see if you can look back and see, well, who is it that's even curious about that? There might be even a more fundamental layer of identity operating that's sort of the one that's observing its own identities. Kind of like how you described the mindfulness thing. Mindfulness is great, but it, it can get you to this sort of watcher state that at some point you have to be curious about, well, who's the watcher, right? What's really right. going on behind the scenes? What's exactly. making identity seem like a thing at all? What's right. making it seem like I need to even identify with anything rather than just just there is just fluidity, right? And, right? and people are getting there, which is wonderful. So um, so I would just say, number one, get, give yourself permission to be curious about identity at all levels, not just your outward identity and not just your outward identity as far as how you dress and how you look and not even just your emotional identity, which is a d far deeper layer in, sen in the sense of how do I feel gender-wise? How do I, who am I attracted to? Explore all that, but keep going. The, there's a deeper, there's a deeper, place you can visit you can explore that is wondrous and and you'll find amazing truths there uh and you have the right to look there if you if you're curious um the, the, we're talking about the part the the most fundamental identity structures that say well identity means i'm separate from you and from the sky can that actually be investigated and dissolved it can the, the, I, there's, there's identity structures functioning in, in our minds, essentially, that make it appear as if I'm a distinct object and I'm in a world of distinct objects and there's some unseen barrier between them that makes them different from one another and apart. And I'm, I'm saying you can actually investigate to the level of where you start to experience that there's not apartness anymore. It's ridiculously intimate. It's, it's beyond, beyond. It's really wild. And it doesn't require a drug. It doesn't require extreme circumstances necessarily. It requires genuine curiosity, authenticity, and a sort of uh, love of truth, a love of discovery, of discovery mm -hmm. of what you are. Um, it's, it's worth looking into, and I highly recommend it. And, it, I mean... It appears just, you know, from meeting you and talking to you and seeing you are still a person who has an identity. Like it, it, it is who you have a name and you go to work and people call that name and you go, oh, yeah, here I am. Um, but it's an identity that is not at all calling the shots. It's yeah. more like a, like you could grab a different T-shirt tomorrow and mm -hmm. it, it, it has the same weight or what is that like? Well, it's interesting when you say you have an identity, I know what you mean by that for sure. And conventionally, sure, I can I can easily label to me, yeah. 
like, to, I, to anyone, to anyone right. who knows me or whatever. I can, I can easily say, yeah, I'm an anesthesiologist and I'm 49 years, almost 50 years old. And I can, I can name facts about myself and I understand that in the relative sense. But, but also at the same time, when you say you have an identity, my, it, I, I don't know where to look to find that anymore. So right. I'm, I'm, when I'm looking at you, I'm you. And so then I'm the great blue sky and then I'm one footstep on the ground, but it's so intimate. It's, it, I could say I'm the environment. The environment is me and I, it's self, self environment, world universe, all one, one movement. Uh, and it's literally that way for, right. it, it's actually that way for everyone. It's just right. that the mind is sort of making stories to make it feel small and enclosed, isolated and seeking. And yet this incredible symphony is going on. That's very real and very accessible. It's kind of yeah. like that. I love the, um, the, the term standing on a whale fishing for minnows. It's like what we're doing, right? Um, and so, yeah, if you say, what is your identity? It's a moot point anymore. There's no curiosity about it anymore. No question. It's, there's, there's just reality functioning, reality just functioning uh, um, in such paradoxical ways. But the intimacy is incredible. Uh, it's, it's awesome. Um, but there's no one I'm reflecting back to about it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I get that. I get that. Uh -huh. And it, com it yeah. comes across in the in who you are, I, I guess. W the way I would put it, I guess, is with a flavor of Angelo. Like it <laughs> yeah. has a it has Angelo's flavor. Um, right. And uh, in the same way, I've seen other people who similarly uh, live life from that awareness uh, or whatever, however you would put it, um, that they have their own flavor but there is a definite like it's all coming from the same place and a lot of the the vibe of it is just the same and i think that's so beautiful and i think it's kind of inspirational for uh for people who might be uh afraid of or, or attached to their identity or afraid of losing who they are uh, mm -hmm. a sense of who yeah. they are um that there there isn't it, that doesn't seem to be a part of it. It's not, there's no like I don't know who I am anymore. It's just I am everything. Yeah, no? it, 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 I will say it this way: it go it goes in steps in a sense, and you usually you're ready for the next step. It, it's just so hard to talk about what it's like when the the sense of self and other and identity, meaning that sure, there's discrete sure. objects and people, when that's just not functioning. It's just like a self responsive environment that's radically intimate. That's what's happening all the time. So um, the the enjoyment of, yeah, there, there, there actually still is a dimension of enjoyment of the individual of Angelo, for sure, um, I would say. But it's more how it's more like the conditions in the environment and how they how they present themselves. Uh, what Angelo says, like even as I'm speaking, I have no idea why these words are coming. There's no pre-planning at all. They're coming out of nowhere. Um, uh, but, it, but I can also reflect and go, oh yeah, well, that was a really great conversation. And then hopefully people get something out of it. And so there's, there's an awareness of how I express, there's an awareness how, how that you express maybe differently and so forth. Um, and yet that's, that doesn't negate at all this, this, again, this symphonic, you know, this orchestra of, of intimate self-responsiveness of reality. It's wild. Uh, yeah. and so, yeah, it, it does, it's not an either or kind of thing even. 
I get it. I get it. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. And that. I'll even add to that. When you really seen through, fully seen through the, the paradigm or the illusion of separateness, separate self, let's say, um, once you've seen through that, then then playing with identities is is fine. You don't you may or may not do it, but but it's there's no baggage to it. There's no heaviness to it. It's it's enjoyable like anything is enjoyable. You know, it, it's it, you feel like you, you have absolute and full permission to to express however the heck feels natural in the moment. And that's just wonderful. Yeah. Like mythological trickster energy. That is, there's definitely a component of that. It's wonderful. Yeah. I have my whole life been like so many people attracted to hero stories mm-hmm. and kind of, uh, I, I had some mentors growing up who basically encouraged me to find adventure and to follow that sort of a journey in life. My uh, my dad's aunt was an actress um, who was nominated for Academy Award and taught acting in L.A. And I graduated with a theater degree and I thought, I want to go and move to L.A. and take her class and do this. And she was like, you can, you can come here if you want an audition, but I'm telling you what you should do is go out, live your life, and then bring it back to your work someday if you want. Don't look to this to give you a life. And I just, I heard that, and my first reaction was, yeah, fine, I'm coming. Um, <laughs> but then then I went out, and I I did something different. I fell in love. I, I flipped a coin, and I started following this synchronistic path that was laid out in front of me. And it led me to where I am today. Literally, the guy who I fell in love with is the guy who introduced me to you. And that happened in 1990. But wow. like, here we are today talking. Mm-hmm. And, and I see that hero's journey as a path that it's kind of like you, you, you take a journey and then you, you bring the, the benefits back, you share them with others, and then a new journey starts. And it's yeah. not like life is one long hero's journey, or maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not at the end yet. Mm-hmm. But I see the storytelling you do as the kind of the end of the hero's journey part where you're bringing back the, the treasure, the boon to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, how do you see that mythology, that, that, that kind of every man's journey, every person's journey uh, as being a part of the awakening process, if at all. And, um, and what, what is it about storytelling in the, and we talked a little bit about this before, but I'm really curious about it's telling a story in the now, mm. um, you know, that isn't about just a, like a plot and, you know, like just delineating something that happened um, because you're very good at it. It's tricky to, okay, I'll start with the last question. It's, it's tricky to tell the story in the now, in a sense, and to do, it, to do both justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's why, what, what came to me when you said it was, that's why I didn't talk about this for 15 years. <laughs> After I had an awakening, I didn't talk. I literally, I, I knew I had nothing to say. I could not, I couldn't right. think of what to say about it. I didn't feel like I needed to. I just saw reality so differently. So I had time to germinate, I suppose. Um, but, but I think maybe that's part of it is I probably wouldn't have started to open my mouth about this until I really trusted myself 
both in the relative and absolute to, to bring those together um, so that the, the storyline and the story of you right now um, uh, waking up, you know, with the ultimate hero's journey, that's the best story of all, right? But to back back up a little bit, I love love it. I love Jung, Carl Jung, and the the archetypes of the collective unconscious, um, Joseph Campbell, uh, all of it. You know, and, and you probably know, but um, George Lucas, when he yeah. wrote Star Wars, yeah, he he modeled it after the Joseph Campbell stuff and and the archetypes and the hero journey. And one, so so what I would say is. Um, all of us can resonate with that to some degree. It's the way our psyches function, the, the, the motifs, the archetypes, and the hero's journey, right? We can all, to various degrees, but some people, it's, it, it really is prominent in their life, like you. I think that's awesome. Um, and what I would say is, hey, awesome. Take up that journey. You know, take up that hero's journey. Take up those challenges, for sure. But here's the, here's the caveat, or here's what I would add. Be willing to go back out when it's time to go back out and go on the next journey. And... Right. Be willing to be surprised where it starts to take you. And that's yeah. when we start to go. We start to when you when, the example. I love this example of this um, this moment in Star Wars where Yoda says to Luke Skywalker and, and Luke Skywalker, he's already been on. He's already a hero. right? He's been on hero journey. He grew up on this planet, didn't know his parents. He, you know, he was he was a hard worker and he helped his aunt and uncle. And that, now he's journeyed to other stars and planets and he's gone through all these adventures already. But now it's like the it's like it's time to dig deep, right? And and he says you're going to have to go into that cave, and and Luke just with that the the naivete and and innocence of him says, oh, I'm not afraid, and and Yoda just says, oh, you will be, <laughs> you will be, yeah, you will be, <laughs> and I feel like that with people who are starting this process, um, and I, I want to just say, hey, like, and I love it that they will be, I love it. And I hope they love it too. I hope you love that you're going to be challenged in ways you, you really didn't expect on this journey. It's 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 a hero's journey of all journeys, and in one sense, all hero journeys point to this. Um, it's so beautiful. They do. They do. Don't. I mean, it really is. It's the all those. I mean, because I've you know, over the last three years of doing this sleep podcast, I've read so many fairy tales and so many hero's journey tales, uh, and they all are about that journey to knowing yourself to mm -hmm. knowing Absolutely. more the 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 world and then and the and the the part i really have come to uh to appreciate the most is the the end the bringing it back the mm -hmm. telling the story and uh and i was I've, I've been kind of working on this whole hero's journey thing um and when I first when I first started watching your teachings um, a few months back, I was I was just kind of like, well, like, is a story just something that the ego is making and reinforcing, you know, just identity or where where's the 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 purpose and benefit of a story that isn't that? And I thought this is really it. Yeah, that's right. Yes. And, and so there's a way of speaking about this kind of stuff, this like Neo Advaita way of speaking is the, sto the story is all an illusion. Right. And, and there's a, there's a truth to that in one sense. But but I'll say it this way. The real. Oh, excuse me. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. OK. Sorry um, about that. I think we're back. Um, no problem. I just wanted to turn. I wanted to actually turn the alarm off so it didn't go off again. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, no problem. So it didn't keep, <laughs> keep bothering us because I think I snoozed it by just pushing the side button. Okay. Cool. You, so, yeah, you what I wanted back. to say about that, um, about the story, the value of story, uh, is that's really the challenge of bringing this back into the world is that the relative, the, the absolute does not exclude the relative. Emptiness does not exclude form and it's not apart from it. So right. the relative aspect of the human dimension is itself also part of the divine, we could say. It, it, so, but I did like how you said in the relative sense, there are better and worse stories. There, there are, there are storylines in our mind that are that are sort of repetitive and self-sabotaging and so and so forth but the 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 story of the journey of the hero's journey um these motifs these archetypes are very very powerful pointers um and very powerful uh and w to the degree that we're identified with various aspects of consciousness uh that identity is structured in consciousness which is one of the first, really it's the first big shift in identity is to, to directly experience that. When you experience yourself as all of consciousness, which you experience yourself as all of being, it's pure beingness. And it's not something you did, it's something you already are. And that's a tremendous amount of rest that comes with that and, and peace and relief and all that. Um, but, but that's to realize that the, the storylines, the narratives, the journey, the, the, all of what we take ourselves to be as, as humans is structured in consciousness and the motifs are there and they point to very profound truths about reality. Um, and so, so again, that's why I say, Hey, take up that hero's journey, but be willing to take it up and take it up with discernment and heart and conscience. You know, as long as you're doing that, it'll lead you usually to another, the next journey. And, and at some point, those external journeys will lead you to an in, inward journey. That is, um, that, that's the big one. Uh, yeah. And that's wonderful. You, and you'll still have the external journeys here and there for sure. But that, that internal one, um, when it starts to go inside and it starts to really, this is, again, what we're talking about, investigating identity and so forth. Um, right. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it makes me feel so much gratitude for being alive because through this, this lens of the human mind and heart is how we're able to do that. That's how we're able to take up this, this, um, this, this challenge, let's say it's adventure. Yeah. 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 Um, thank you for that answer. I, mm -hmm. I really appreciated it. Um, yeah, it, uh, thank you. Manifesting. <laughs> this is something that if you spend any time on Instagram, you see the whole world is talking about creating your own reality. Mm -hmm. um, and to a certain sense in the relative world, yes, that's true. And I've heard you talk about this a little bit. Um, there is also something so, uh, um, so like make me happy about it. I want mm -hmm. to make this thing to make me happy and that's how I'll get satisfied. And then that will be the end of that. Um, yeah. Balancing those two things, like saying, okay, I would like to create a thing, mm. you know, for example, um, I have an inspiration or something comes. And I'm like, I'd like to do that. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, I guess this comes back to intention and surrender, right? There is a, uh, I mean, maybe I can answer this for myself. Is it where it comes from? Is it where that initial idea comes from? And then um, is it about the, the, the way you take the path to it? Or is there just like, uh, does it just not matter? Or does it matter a lot? Hmm. Yeah, good question. It's an interesting one with the manifestation thing. I, I, you, I probably, you probably know I don't talk about it a lot. Um, law yeah. of attraction and, and the like, right? Right. Um, I, I don't, I don't discount it completely. Um, but I try not to mix it with this, this pointing with, when it comes to awakening and so forth, be, mostly because it can be confusing for a time, but sure. I'll, I'll say it this way. Um, the, 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 the mind that produces 70,000 thoughts a day and many people find this uncomfortable, Most Is that people all? Find it uncomfortable at some point, if you're, once you're, once you're honest with yourself, the mind produces all these thoughts, and m- most of them are some form of seeking thoughts, right? right? And if you, if you kind of look at the, the, the anatomy of a seeking thought, it's like, well, when I get X, Y, Z, then I'll finally be happy. When I get the, the lover to finally notice me. And Very I familiar. Yeah, I've been looking for the security, the job, whatever it is. Seek, yep. we, we seek things all, you know, we're, we're master seekers. So, so it's fine, right? That, it's already happening, and it's a bunch of thoughts. Now, some of those thoughts we, we don't grab onto too much, uh, meaning, you know, you might have a momentary whim about something or whatever, but it's not, a, it's not an overriding thing in your life. And, and, but everyone's different. So for some people, you, you may have uh, some area of your life that really does grab your attention with the seeking and often it may even manifest as external behaviors, seeking behaviors and so forth, right? A lot of this happens very frequently with relationships and, and those sorts of things. Uh, and so it's, that's already happening. We, we could say that's pretty common in human, the human psyche. So that's fine. Uh, so this idea that you can, um, manifest things, uh, through a certain kind of focus, I don't think it's wrong. I think it's actually probably true. And that would mean like, you know, if, if, if some, it depends on the individual. So if somebody's challenge in life is that they're completely scattered, they, they can never finish anything they start. Their energy goes in a thousand directions at once. And you just look at them and you feel bad. Like, ah, I wish I, I wish I could just get you to focus on one thing for three years and you'd probably be surprised how much and you build confidence and, and, you know, and so forth. So I think there's a value in that. There's a value in focusing your attention. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, but it has to also be with effort. I think the magical thinking part of it is like, Oh, just think about it and you'll have it. That kind of stuff. I mean, Usually most things worthwhile in the world require some effort, including relationships, including jobs and vocations, all of it, right? So I think mm-hmm. focused attention uh, after you've sat with something for a while and asked yourself, is this something I really deeply care about? And if you do, great. This is a hero's journey. I mean, you're going unco- you're gonna to encounter uncomfortable situations. You're going to have to break out of your comfort zone in, cer- in certain ways to, to, to build the career you're interested in or the hobby or the pastime or the art form to develop an art form, any of those things, they're going to put you in all the situations that, you know, the average older child or young adult is probably nervous about, like having to interact with other people, having to take risks, having to put yourself out there and risk the risk humiliation. So, so those challenges are already built into the, the regular 
or usual challenges of life, the, the, the usual journey, and it is a hero's journey. So focusing and um, sustained effort are really valuable. I think they are because, because otherwise the mind really can just be awash with seeking and it can turn into like a massive hesitation tone or even a dissociation tone where you, you just don't do anything, you know, and you're, you're kind of frozen. It's like, it's sure. called the, the, um, um, dorsal vagal response. You've heard about this. I don't know if you've heard about that, but it's a sort of a freeze response and it's a very uncomfortable oh. dysphoric experience, um, yeah. and an isolating experience. So, uh, so yeah, in that case, learning to uh, apply effort to life and focus on one one goal or two goals instead of letting your your mind just have you uh, in all these different directions is valuable. Now, when we're talking about the awakening process, my assumption is sort of that, not always, but sort of that you've done that already in life in in a few areas, or maybe you have a successful career you're happy with, and you've, you've learned, you've gone through the relationship challenges. You've learned to develop these, these, you know, um, uh, mutually beneficial caring, uh, um, uh, relationships. And, and, and you've, you've done some of that and, and you feel okay with, with these challenges of life. And yet something underneath is still gnawing at you. There's still a dissatisfaction. I have a good partner, and I know I do finally. And and I have a good career, and I'm happy with it. But there's something underneath still gnawing at me, a dissatisfaction. That's when it's time to like take this up, this awakening thing. Instead of instead of just going into magical thinking, be like, oh well, I, I'm just going to manifest more stuff because, you know, I I mean, I have a good relationship, I have a good a good spouse, I have a good job. What more could I ask for in life? And yet I'm not satisfied. I think you're selling yourself a bill of goods if you're at that point, and then you go. Well, I'm just going to manifest some more stuff. I'm going to get right. a yacht now. Now I'm going to get more money. Like you know, at, at some point you kind of go, you got to be honest with yourself and realize now it's time to take the inward journey, right? Well, so, yeah, I mean that's that that was my story exactly. Really, you know, yeah. I moved out here to the woods thinking that it would make me happy, but yeah. not realizing that I just needed it to get to a baseline of being okay because yeah. I I needed this connection in nature to kind of regulate my own emotional life and to yeah. be just to be able to start thinking about these things. Um, and, and yeah, I get that a lot from people like, Oh, how, how did you do what you did that if I could do what you did, it would make you happy. I'm like, no, actually it doesn't, it didn't, it's, it's not that. Um, so yeah, I get that. And I, I think that there's this, um, effort and synchronicity have a some sort of a a relationship don't they i mean there's a the 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 in the desire instinct or whatever to to do something happens it arises and that is the 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 method of synchronicity isn't it i mean without if if we all just didn't do anything nothing would happen and there would be no synchronous moments. Mm -hmm. So to get to get in touch with that versus say, uh, I'm coming from my ego. What do you have any tips for like, where for coming at coming at effort from a more helpful place? Yeah, I, you know, just just take inventory, give yourself some time to answer the question, but really ask what is the most important thing to me in life, really, underneath all of it? You know, and again, if you've found success or, or earned success in various areas of your life and there's still that underlying something that's like, I need to go deeper, 
trust that. Trust that. Mm -hmm. Even if you've never had a social endorsement for it until you heard this maybe or something, um, it's not common. Still, it's not common. It's becoming more common, but it's not common to hear somebody say, hey, you can attune to that. It's been there the whole time. It's been there your whole life. But you kind of learned to avoid it. And maybe you were taught to avoid it. Uh, but it's okay. You can turn towards that. You can start to investigate that. That's that's sort of the message of all messages in, in my book. But um, but yeah, where to put your effort really comes down to that question. What, what's the most important thing to you? I also yeah. wanted to backtrack because a minute ago I said, hey, if you've gotten these areas of your life sort of taken care of and you still feel the call, you still underneath it feel like something is just not quite right or you're, you're still suffering, it's, that's when you, you can really start to, to dig in in the way we're talking about. But I also want to say it doesn't have to be that way. Young people actually wake up very quickly, I've noticed. They, they do, they do if, if they're inclined to it and they're mm -hmm. willing to dig in and they're willing to inquire and really, really keep at it, they do really well. So um, you don't have to have any part of your life in a final state at all to, to do this either. It really is what's the most important thing to you? What's really calling you? What, yeah. you know, and you can ask yourself these questions. What is really calling me? What in my heart of hearts do I want to do today, tomorrow, in the next year of my life? Like, sit with it and let it come to you. And then if it's scary, it's okay that it's scary. It's okay, whatever it is. If it's practical and mundane or if it's what we're talking about, just digging into your identity, um, anything can be scary. But if you're scared, that's okay. Ask yourself, well, what am I afraid of? You know, am I willing to feel that fear right now? And will, am I willing to take one step? Without mm -hmm. overthinking it, am I willing to take one step? One mm -hmm. inquiry question. One uh, you know, 30 minute period on the meditation mat, one, uh, commitment to sign up for a, a mindfulness class or sign up for community college, you know, whatever it is, uh, right. be willing to, to sit with your fear, feel your fear, acknowledge it and be okay with it. And, and then take a step, uh, and then reevaluate and ask yourself again, what is the most important thing to me? And if the most important thing to you in life is to stop suffering, that's perfectly okay. That's a more than legitimate answer. Yeah. Um, and we have good news for you. <laughs> That's, That's all I want. I didn't, I didn't even, no one ever told me I could want that, but if, <laughs> if you would have asked me and I was honest and I could get, see through my own layers of delusion, I would have absolutely said up until I was 24 years old, I don't want to suffer anymore. Yeah. I don't yeah, want to feel no. like a suffering separate individual in this world of other individuals confused about how to be happy and never really feel happy. I didn't yeah. want that anymore. I wanted to get past that. I just didn't know that was that was a possibility. Yeah. yeah. I came into this not wanting to come up with like a list of questions and think about it too much because every time I would start thinking about it, I was like, oh, thoughts. I'm like, I just want to be there with you when mm -hmm. we're here. And, I'm, and I feel like this was that and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Um, but I did also think that it might be fun if you were into this to do a kind of a... Um, a lightning round um, with an intention to kind of for these to be for like TikTok social media less than 30 seconds, 60, okay. six, 30 to 60 second answers sure. um, just for fun. Um, you got it. And they're, um, they're, they're very general questions about the, um, about the stuff that we've been talking about. So you can kind of answer them however you want. You could say moo. You can do whatever you want. It's all, okay. it's all up to you. Um, you got it. 
All right. What is non-duality? Non-duality is the ongoing, undeniable experience that there is no subject in here experiencing a world of objects out there. Great. What is awakening? Awakening is a fundamental transformation, shift, or change in what you take yourself to be. From something small and isolated to something vast, intimate, and essentially ineffable, indescribable, wondrous. What is the connection between awakening and non-duality? I would generally say awakening is the first big shift in identity, which gives us the opportunity to directly investigate identity structures as such. And at some point, the identity structure that makes it feel like we're in the most basic way separate from the world, from objects, from other people, that perceptual filter can actually be dissolved directly. And then we experience a world of what I could call non-duality, but it doesn't need a name because it's simply a intimate world of phenomena coming out of nowhere and disappearing back into nowhere. What is reality? I would actually not rob anybody of the answer to that question by defining it for them. I'd say start by looking inside and asking, who am I? And when you ask, who am I? The first thing you're going to notice is there are going to be some thoughts that answer that involuntary thoughts. They're going to give you information they can give you bits of history about yourself. They might say something about your gender. Now disregard those because those are thoughts and who you are as you take yourself to be right now was there before those thoughts and it's there after those thoughts. Then ask again, who am I? And look right where it feels like you are. Why do we suffer? We suffer because we believe our thoughts. How can we end our suffering? We can end our suffering by initially investigating the nature of our own identity, our own sense of self, and then taking that investigation deeper and deeper and deeper and letting ourselves be willing to go wherever it leads us. But we have to be willing to go down the rabbit hole. What, if anything, is the meaning of life? Well, there's a funny thing about meaning. Meaning is kind of like... Uh, a band-aid on a huge mass of suffering. So we think ourselves into these little labels to make ourselves feel better about what we're just not addressing, which is the fact that we're deeply suffering. And um, so so paradoxically, I could say that the, the meaning of everything actually does reveal itself in a very profound and vivid way, but we have to take that investigation down into and through our own suffering to discover that. Is meditation helpful for awakening? I think meditation is a good uh, background for awakening, but I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily sufficient uh, in and of itself. We, we have to have a true query, a true yearning to uh, get underneath what we take ourselves to be, to get underneath our identity structure. Uh, we have to have a, a deeper more profound um, desire or drive uh, to taste unfiltered reality than just a mere uh, curiosity. 
why are so many people so dissatisfied? I think people are dissatisfied because they have a lot of attachment to their internal thought processes uh, that have to do with seeking and the seeking constantly seeking in a mental way. So always imagining a future where I can finally be happy constantly reinforces in a subconscious way that we don't always see that I'm already unhappy. So we're constantly trying to fix the problem of me without realizing that by doing that in a mental way, in a seeking way, we're constantly reinforcing the sense of a suffering me. Thank you. Sure. That was fun. <laughs> that was. <laughs> Very cool.